You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is my discussion with one of the guitarists in Cradle of Filth, Richard Shaw. The reason for the conversation is to promote Cradle of Filth Australian Tour, which is about to occur at the time of narrating this introduction. I'll just read out some dates quickly. Wednesday the 9th of May, they're playing in Canberra. Thursday the 10th, they're playing at the Triffid in Brisbane. Friday the 11th, they're playing in Melbourne. Saturday the 12th, they're playing in Sydney. And finally, Monday the 14th, they are playing capital in Perth. Let's see what Richard has to say. Here we go. Hey, Richard, Andy McKay-Smith calling for a chat. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good, mate. You're keen, that's for sure. I got the message from John only a couple of hours ago that you guys were on on route from wherever you were coming from and that you wanted to have a a chat with media types when you landed, mate. So I congratulate you on your enthusiasm, to say the least. Yeah, not a problem at all. Not a problem. Just had a couple of hours sleep. Thought I'd... uh wake up and get straight on it before we have a look around the sea. Yeah, cool. Whereabouts have you come from? What country? Uh, we just come from the Philippines, from Manila. Manila uh, I can't even speak. Manila. <laughs> <laughs> How were those shows over there? Absolutely amazing. Amazing. There's something about the Asian crowds that is uh, pretty cool. I, th- I think they're just really passionate. They don't get that many uh, bands like us come over all that often, so they just get really passionate about it. Whether you're playing a small club show or a big yeah. festival they just seem well up for it we spend a lot of time in the philippines because my wife is half filipino so we uh we go over there with her mother's family and we stay in the island of cebu which is smack bang in the middle and oh. when i was in lapu lapu city there bloody angel corpse you know that black death metal band from the states they came through town yeah, yeah, yeah. i didn't get an opportunity yeah. to go and watch them but it's something because this is effectively what I do, indie journalism. It's something that I'm quite passionate about with Australian artists to start branching out, reaching into the Asian market. And I mean, it's, you know, a lot of Australian bands do go over and lose a lot of money because the promoters are a bit dicey or what have you. But, you know, they are legitimate ones out there, like the ones that you guys obviously went through to play Manila. And it's just a matter of tapping into that market because, frankly, it's just on our bloody doorstep. Exactly, exactly. It's a, what, what, an eight-hour flight, which in the whole scheme of things isn't, too no, bad. It's nothing. Especially for you, the Australians. <laughs> anything anything <laughs> less than a, about 10 hours is, is pretty good for you guys, isn't it? Oh, it's very rare for us. To, I mean, Asia's that, the only place you can go to where it's less than 10 hours. If you want to go to Europe, you know, UK, North America, you're looking at 18, 20 hours, or especially that bloody long-haul flight now that I won't quote, don't quote on how long it is, but from Perth directly to London now. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's the one we're getting on the way back from Sounds like I've been told it's around 17, 18 hours. Yes. But I've got a feeling it's uh, it will be longer than that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you'll be right, I think. I think they've kitted it out, so you've got extra leg room and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, they understand. Oh, I hope you? so. <laughs> you know, you're not bloody pigs or cattle, you know what I mean? You can't sort of be herded into something and be expected to just sort of sit still for that length of time. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> So, uh, mate, the tour, you, you finally made it here. What can we expect from some of the shows? Uh, the shows, well, right now we pretty much feel like a well-oiled machine. We're getting to a point where we've done, including the UK tour that we did back in October and November, we're on course for probably 90 shows in into this uh, world tour, and we feel good, we feel positive. All the shows have been incredible the fans have been great uh the australian fans are going to expect one hell of a set list uh spanning pretty much cradle's whole career obviously we are pushing uh cryptoriana the new album yeah so there'll be a few songs from that but at the same time they go well with the old songs uh obviously being 20 years of uh cruelty and the beast yeah it's yeah. going to be a a little bit of a, a tip of it 
the hat to that as well. So uh, they're going to expect some some high energy shows that go across the whole um, back catalogue of Cradle of Filth. So I know it's been a while. I mean, this is mine and Ashok's first time here because the last time Cradle were in Australia was uh, 2013. Um, wow, we okay. joined in February of 2014, and obviously we're we're still technically the new guys for the Australians. You know, <laughs> <laughs> with first time five years, you guys. <laughs> exactly, it's been a long time, and uh, with with two albums in with this lineup, and uh, it's about time the Australians got that. So we're going to give them the money's worth, that's for sure. It's like when Jason Newstead left Metallica in 2003. There were still people saying Metallica's new bass player left the band. After 15 or 16 yeah, it, years it, or whatever, been in the exactly, band. exactly. It's pretty crazy. It's crazy to think now because Rob Trier has been the longest-serving member. Yeah, of the band. yeah, that's right. Crazy. Like 20, 30, he's been in the band 15 years now, and uh, Jason was in the band 14. I think you're years, right. I believe so. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that's right. Actually, I don't know what what he and Kirk Hammett have been thinking lately. My opinions only, of course. I know this one, of course, but uh, feel free to echo my sentiments. But have you seen? the performance that he and Kirk Hammett did in, in Denmark of Take Me On by AHA, and then they just did... Oh, yeah, yeah, in, in um, Oslo, wasn't it? Yeah, in Oslo, Norway. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw Final that. Like, they've been doing that every, pretty much every every show they've done. They've done something that's, like, local to, uh, yeah. to, to whichever city they're in. Because um, I had tickets for the Birmingham, UK show, but then I couldn't go because it was the first date of our world tour. So I was like, well, they're, they're, it's a good problem to have. I didn't say you're going to miss your favourite band of all time. <laughs> it might as well because you're starting a world tour. You know what I mean? If, I was, if you told me that was the reason I was going to miss Metallica when I was 14, I'd be like, you're having a laugh, aren't you? But, but uh, apparently they played like a, a Black Sabbath medley in Birmingham. Of course, uh, Robin and Kirk did, so that would have been cool, but yeah. I couldn't see it, unfortunately. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, I think, is losing his chops, though. I mean, he's not hes not as precise as a player like yourself or David Davidson out of revocation. You know, he just has lost a little bit. I don't know what, what's, what it is, mate, but he's listening to his live performance. And I've got to say, I saw them in 2010 when they came here, and it wasn't good between you and I. Um, and I, I thought, yeah... These guys are sort of, they're almost like a, a spinning top that's spinning off its axis from time to time. Um, you know, it's sort of just, who was I talking to? Just before you, I was speaking to Peter Tugton from um, Hypocrisy and, you know, the big producer. Mm. And uh, it, it, he wasn't saying the same thing. But, yeah, I just don't know whether I could watch Metallica these days because I'm 40, right? So Black Album is the era that I sort of came through, but I didn't actually get into the Black Album. I went back and got into the thrash stuff. You know, the yeah. two albums, the two big albums there. And they're the two albums. I don't mean to sound like a grumpy old man about things, but I just feel like as though as a band, they're losing a little bit of their, um, what would you call it, feel? You now the feel that goes into playing the music, and it feels like it might be a bit more of a job for them now. Um, we dis- disagree if you say. want. Because <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, Metallica are my heroes. And, yeah, granted, like, people slag off Lars and Kirk and... And I, I totally understand it, but at the same time, um, how influential that band is, and people slag off Lars as a drummer, but it's like, how many people can air drum the whole of Sad But True? You know what I mean? You can't mm. say that about many drummers, but you can, <laughs> that people can air drum their fills. Like, people who don't play drums can air drum, like, the, pretty much the Black Album. And, and Kirk's solos are just so iconic. Uh, yeah. At least they were, like... Um, like me, I, I do love the new album. I absolutely love it. Is that right? But, um, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I find it a struggle to be honest with you. I had to review it, and 
yeah, it was hard. I ended up saying nice things about it because it's Metallica, but Jesus, yeah. it was hard to. I got to tell you, I didn't listen to it after the review cycle finished. Oh, really? See, to me, I do love that album. It's almost like the first disc was amazing, and Spit Out the Bone, the last track on disc two, was amazing. The rest of disc yeah. two, I wasn't too much of a fan of. If it just did made it like a seven track album, it would have been stellar, I, I, I think. And those are the songs, weirdly enough, I feel like Kirk does sound pretty inspired. And then the, the, the pretty much all of this too, like, like the songs themselves, they just sound a little bit laboured. Hmm. But as far as Kirk's live performance goes, yeah, there have been some pretty heartbreaking moments over the years. But saying that, I've seen some some shows where I'm like, Kirk's on it. Kirk, he's, he's absolutely yeah. amazing. But And then I, I just think it's like one of those inconsistent live bands but when you get them on a good show oh my god <laughs> yeah it's you're right definitely a memorable show whereas some bands playing their best still aren't as as good as metallica will ever be in my opinion but um don't know, they are my heroes i can't slag them off too much <laughs> it's, it's quite funny actually just talking about your band i just just before we would get on the call i thought i'd check out some of your videos on youtube because i know you're quite adept at being able to handle interviews and especially the video interviews where i think it was the uh, association of contemporary music or one of the colleges you went through that you were talking to an audience about but i've, I've flipped on to another um another video which i've got up here it's from thurman music i don't know whether you remember this discussion which was published only recently about a week a month ago but one of the comments underneath is, I want to thank Paula Linda for leaving Cradle. Now we have two kick-ass guitar players who have renewed Cradle's energy and sound. And look, I've got, to, I've got to echo those sentiments as well. I think, I think the commentator is quite right. And I think a lot of people agree with him. Now, I'm not asking you to put shit on Paul at all because I know he's a great guitarist. But 31 mm -hmm. likes on that comment. No down thumbs. Well, I don't know whether you can see down thumbs on YouTube these days because I'm not on it that often. But 31 likes on that one there. So I do think yourself and your partner in crime up there on the six string or seven string as it might be um you know you have brought renewed vigor to the album to, to the band because i'm an old fan i got in the cradle back on um uh dusk and a really big fan of Stuart Ansis' oh, guitar wow. playing cool. yeah and that's look to be honest with you i've i've checked out a metal uh for about 10 15 years or so i've only just sort of come back into it so mm. it's interesting to hear you're playing how it has revitalized it because i didn't I'm just speaking completely frankly, and when I interviewed Danny, I didn't mention this, God help me, but I didn't like a lot of that that stuff that's come out over the last 15 years, but this last record seems to have a lot more energy to it. So were you given a lot more reins to write in on this album here, or is it still a ve you know Danny's vehicle and you guys just come in and do your thing? Um, I think that's the impression a lot of people get, is that it's like Danny's kind of vision and it, and it is for, for, for a big part of it but even when um, I came in to do Hammer of the Witches for the album before Cryptoriana me and Ashok had only been in the band about six months or so probably not even that and we were told mm. like right like time to get writing and being thrown into that kind of situation where you're like right well what do the fans want me as, as like an, an old school fan I was kind of more of a casual fan my brother's a diehard fan yeah. I was almost like sitting down with him going what do you think Cradle need, <laughs> and uh, yeah. the, the general consensus I got on the, the kind of Cradle that I got into was the kind of two guitar attack kind of thing that yes. was kind of missing from the previous albums. Totally, um, and it was one of those things with Hammer of Witches. It was like right, I've, I've, I've written albums with my other bands and in different styles of music, and be, being a session guy, it was kind of like 
I'm used to playing different styles, um, but how do I write? How do I fit in into the cradle sound? Uh, trying to make it, I guess for all of us really, like, like how do we push cradle further? But you can't, it was almost like this template that cradle known for. Hmm. But at the time, Hammer of Witches, we were brought in, it was like six months in um, from, from, from filling in on a tour. And uh, it, it felt good. We were basically given free reign, do we whatever we want to do. But it was almost like you go to Martin, uh, our drummer, who's almost like the quality control. And if he got excited about our ideas, we knew those ideas were going to make the album. And then basically we write the album uh, musically, uh, all of us collaborating. And then Danny will put in his two cents and go, well, I'm thinking of putting more vocal here. Can we just like double that length? Oh, I, like, I love that riff. Can we make that come back later? So he's really good at kind of those arrangements yeah. with us. And then when that's done, we basically leave him in to enter his cave or wherever he goes to uh, write the lyrics and we, we have an album written. And it was pretty much the same process with Cryptorionomy, the only difference being that instead of being a band for like six months trying to work with that kind of chemistry, we've done a whole world tour. Yes. come back and it's like right now we've got this extra we know how to push each other's buttons a little bit more instead of being like the new guys going oh, oh, oh I'm not really sure about that but we'll say yes to it we don't want to rock the boat too much whereas Cryptoriano we knew which buttons to press to kind of push each other even further every single member of the band yeah okay yeah I ended up I had a discussion about six months ago. It was the same week I had a chat with Danny, as fate would have it, with Stuart Anstis. I was the first journo that reached out to him, I think, in his words, in, in years, to actually have a chat to him. And we spoke for four hours, if you can believe it, about, wow. about his history with the band, what he's done since. But just his take on the two albums that he's so well known for. Well, one album in particular, Cruelty and the Beast. So, look, that's yeah. an album that's gaining... I, in, in my view, like I always thought it was iconic when it came out back in the day. So your brother probably feels the same way but he I mean, was the same he, yeah. yeah i mean do you feel uh, uh, you know with the re-releases coming out is there something special around that album do you think that separates it from the other albums it's kind of hard to tell you it was almost like one of those albums where it's like kind of the planets align kind of mm. albums if you listen to cradle's back catalog up until that point you could hear that trajectory like i know it's kind of a weird thing to to, to say but you, 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 you can hear. Uh, basically, I'm a huge Queen fan. Sure. And, the, and if you listen to the first Queen album, and then get to Night of the Opera, where Bohemian Rhapsody is on that album, you can hear album by album them becoming more of Queen. And for me, Cruelty is that almost bell curve. It's like every album you go, yeah, we get it, we get it. And every album there was like this new ingredient being added that yeah. made them more Cradle and more unique. And I think almost like cruelty became that peak where it was like, right, they've got everything absolutely spot on. The songs are there, the playing's there, uh, the interest is there, the, the concepts there, the lyrics are there, all the performances are there. It, it, it's just one of those albums that I think is almost like the benchmark for Cradle. Yeah. Um, some people have different opinions on that because I kind of got into the band around Midian and Bittersweets. So I, I class Midian in there. Is that right? Um, a lot yeah. Of people class, yeah, a lot of people class Dusk. Like my brother's like, a, but my brother's like a Dusk guy. Yeah. That's kind of where he got into him. Uh, but there's something almost universal with every Cradle fan, where every Cradle fan loves cruelty. Everyone's yes. got their kind of cherry picks their moments throughout the history. Like even people who go into band with, for example, Hammer of the Witches, 
they go back and listen to Cruelty, and that seems to still be the one that all Cradle fans can agree on. Um, so there's just something about it. There's that, there's that magic um, that the other albums, don't get me wrong, they have their own magic, but there's just, that, as I say, that planet-aligning kind of moment with Cruelty. Yeah, no, uh, agreed. And look, it was interesting for a guitarist like you to come into the band now because you're the sort of guitarist, I feel, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you're the sort of bloke that is that could be as comfortable on stage with an artist like Janelle Monet as you are with Cradle of Phil. So you're part of this, this evolving um, musician, if you like, where it's just about performing music. So what drew you to the band, given that you are so capable and you can pretty much play any genre of music? Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Um, just uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it was the kind of theatricality of it. Like, I mean, when I was getting into the band when I was like sixteen, and you have that natural progression of like you find heavy music, you want to find the next heaviest thing, and you eventually do get to to Cradle of Filth. And uh, yeah, it was just I don't know why it was. I don't know if you've seen the uh, heavy left-handed candid DVD. It was shot at Nottingham Rock City, which is my hometown. Right. Yeah, no, I haven't uh, seen it yet. Yeah. So, all right. And it was from the Midian tour. And I kind of went with my brother because um, it was his birthday. I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. Someone to go with kind of thing. And a few of the mates went down. Mm. And that was like more my experience of Cradle of Filth was like, here you go. You're going to see them live. I, I didn't hear them recorded before that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. But it was more, more of a theatricalness and... I'd not really heard anything like it before. It was kind of the first time I even heard Blast Beats, other than probably, at the time, Slipknot's first album. But obviously, yeah. you can't say Slipknot or a similar band to Cradle of Filth. But it was just the first time I was hearing a lot of those extreme metal stylings played right in front of me, especially. And it did make an, out, um, make an impression on me as a guitarist, like the whole interweaving guitar line kind of thing. And... Uh, not just you have a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist. This was like you have almost two lead guitar players, mm. very rarely playing just regular power chords. And they're playing completely different things at the same time. And that really grabbed me. And, uh, yeah, it was almost like a Iron Maiden on speed. I've always <laughs> felt that. Well, I've always felt that about Cradle, actually. And I mentioned this to Stuart and Danny. It was like that era that we're talking about earlier, you know, the Cradle era. That was a really shitty time for metal, if we all recall. Like it was, there was, yeah. you know, Sepultura had effectively gone, they'd broken up, gone their separate ways. You know, they regrouped eventually with Derek, but man, heavy metal was not present at all in mainstream media or culture. It had gone completely underground, and Cradle were about Cradle and uh, Strapping Young Lad. I felt were the two highlights of that era in terms of mm. albums that you could walk, you could purchase them if you walked into the HMV or or Virgin. You know, like as a regular yeah. punter off the street that didn't know where heavy metal record stores or independent record stores were, you could mm. you could purchase them. So, um, so I've completely lost the point that I was going to make because my dog's buddy stalking beside me here and barking. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say. Sorry, it'll come back to me. Um, but um, what's for you, mate? The being such a capable guitarist, and without asking you what your intentions are with the band, I mean, you're effectively starting out in your career, but you're a lifelong musician. But what do you think the future holds for you individually? Individually? It's a very tough question, but um, we've all got our own things. Obviously, when the downtime happens with Cradle, we've yep. all got our own projects, and it's always that 
especially in this day and age where it's like, right, we're tours finished, uh, the tournament is not going to last forever. Hmm, I've got to, got to find work and stuff. So I'm always playing guitar for, for musical theatre back home and teaching and stuff, and I can tend to carry on with that. But there is always that question of like, what can happen between cradle tours? Could I do other bands? Could I do other things? Because I, I just love playing, and we're all the same. We all just love playing. And just because cradle's got some downtime doesn't mean we're not going to do our own projects. And yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's what the beauty of being in this band does for us. We we get the the time between tours to get that creative outlet out we're all into different styles of music i mean obviously Dan, danny's got devilment uh daniel first got like his own band so man must die fit to work lindsay's got her own thing martin's got her own thing it's and, and i shot um has got his own thing as well so it's it's just one of those things where we yeah. we like styles of music we like to be creative and get it out but also at the same time there's that crazy niggling thing that unfortunately it's not the heyday of the music industry anymore we can't the, the tour money doesn't last forever and yeah. uh, the royalties aren't what they were so there's that pressure of going well whatever we do we need to find something that brings the money in at the same time hmm. um so uh yeah in terms of individual things that's the kind of plan for me on the horizon go back to the teaching and the musical theater work go back to lecturing yeah. but, um if other off- offers come up for, for things between cradle tours i'll gladly take them but cradle is the priority and that, that's what it is we'll always it, it, cradle feels like home base it's like you can go off do your thing and then as soon as yeah it's a good way of putting it isn't it way, you can get back into it get re-energized and we're always writing in our down downtime so cradle is always in the back of our minds going we know this is this is home yeah, that's the breadwinner for lack of a better description. That's that's the platform, and you just because you're a guitarist and you're a musician, you can you can engage in all these other things because that's what you do. That's what you've been put on this earth to do. Yeah, yeah. that's the way, way I see it. It's just I'm not very good at anything else. So <laughs> um, I, I, like I, as, as long as I'm playing guitar, I'm happy. Like I've taken on some gigs that don't pay well at all, but they've been super rewarding. Um, and I, I just love playing, and, and sometimes I can run myself ragged taking on gigs and doing things yeah. back home between cradle tours, but I'm I'm happy. I'm playing guitar. I can't really complain. Mm. I remembered what I was going to say before as well. During that, you know, that 1995 to 1999, which was definitely metal's commercial low tide, if you like, the lowest tide that I think we've ever had for the genre, Um I thought Cradle were the next Iron Maiden. I honestly did, because Iron Maiden, of course, had Blaze Bailey in the band and were... were God knows what was going on there, to be honest with you. It was Virtual Eleven when that came out. Uh, a lot of oh, people yeah. were scratching their heads on that one there. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I th- honestly thought Cradle were the next in line to take over that mantle as the biggest heavy metal band in the world. And I know you mentioned that you got into Midian, but I just thought a lot of the momentum stopped. As an old fan, I just I listened to the album Midian, and it just sounded flat compared to even what they did on the EP, the From the Cradle to Enslave EP. Um and and I was thinking, geez, what happened? But a lot of that was it made when I spoke to Stuart and talked to him about his exit from the band. Um, a lot of it made sense because, of course, there are different writers that then come in. There's different perspective on on you know I say Danny's vision, but I understand it's a communal thing. But yeah, I just I, I just wish the band um, had kept that ascendancy going. But I guess it's impossible because there weren't the same personnel around by that stage. Um, Barker had left. Les uh, or Lecter, Les, no Les Smith, mm. yeah, had left, and um, and Stewart had stepped out. So you effectively had a brand new, not a brand new band, but three of the 
five or six members were, were brand new coming in, so of course the album was going to sound different. Sorry, I know it's a point out of context now since I've remembered it from five minutes ago, but I, I suppose my overall point is that I just feel like Cradle have, have got a new lease on life since yourself and the other guitarists have come in. So I do I do echo this, again, the sentiments that the um, YouTube commentator had, and it's nice to see because I think that Cradle ran the risk, I think, for a while there of becoming a legacy band, you know, just touring and playing the older hits. But I think now that with you guys coming in and with Cryptoriana being a strong album, it revitalises the band in the same way, really, that Iron Maiden enjoyed a second or third lease of life when Bruce came back in. Mm, but that's the way it feels. I mean, it feels good in, in Cradle World right now. Um, obviously, it's hard for me to tell you any differently because I, obviously I wasn't there for the previous albums before I joined or, or I can only tell you really what's been going on in the last four years but yep. you can tell from the fan reaction and even our crew and management who have worked with the band for so long they've mentioned it does seem like a new lease of life and sometimes having fresh blood isn't a bad thing it, it was almost like that injection of having two new guitarists and getting Daniel involved more in the writing getting mm. Lindsay involved in the writing it's almost like what the band needed at that time. And um, as I say, it's, it's nothing against previous lineups, but like you yeah, say, when the line yeah. changing pretty much every album, you almost don't get that time um, for the chemistry to blossom. It's almost like you're getting an album out of like new guys going, right, how can we make this work? And you could have almost said the same thing about Hammer of the Witches. Who knows how long me and Ashok could have been in the band after Hammer of the Witches. You, 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 we didn't know at the time, but it's like we'd been in a band like in the band like six months, and then yeah. it could have been another album with a different lineup. You never know, but thankfully that wasn't the case because we loved being in this band. So <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just the way it seems seems to be. Me and Ashok are very drawn to that, um, and, and Daniel as as writers were very dr much drawn to that two guitar attack, and we just felt like it needed to come back into the cradle thing a little bit more. It's kind of what made cradle cradle in my eyes and you stray too far away from it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with straying far from it, but cradle have their sound. They're, they're one of those bands. When, when people yeah. think of cradle, they think of almost like this recipe of, of heavy metal that, that works for them. And I think kind of cradle personally, in my opinion, cradle strayed a little bit too far from that. So no, agreed. Nothing, yeah, agreed totally. If, yeah, like bringing in the ingredients from the past without having to rely too heavily on them, and I think that's where Hammer of the Witches and Cryptoriana hit the nail on the head. So we're excited about the next album, seeing where it's, where it's going to go. Um, but we need to get right in that first, and we know we need to push it further ourselves. We don't want like to rest on our laurels and just go, oh, let's just use that template that we know works. Like we do want to push it further ourselves as well to feel creatively satisfied. Yeah, agreed. Well, mate, that's it. For me. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with the excellent guitarist in Cradle of Filth. His name is Richard Shaw. Thank you so much for listening.